Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Lord, I ask your blessing on this time this morning as we open up your word, Lord. I pray that you would give me just the words that you want me to say this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray that you've already begun to prepare the hearts of those of us who are here today, those of us who are watching online today, Lord, that we might hear the message that you have for each and every one of us. Lord, as we learn today, you are a personal and intimately involved God, uh, and I thank you so much for that. Uh, Lord, so as we begin, I pray that uh, you would bless this time. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, we finished up in chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, And uh, as you recall, it's my belief that somewhere along the line there, the crowd of people that were listening to Jesus kind of switched from just just his disciples, just the followers, to a few of the others who come up from the multitude that were there because the focus of the message changes from what he was telling them before to enter through the narrow gate. He warns them about the difference between the broad gate and the wide gate and the broad way and the narrow gate. And then he talks about beware of false teachers who want to steal from you. Um, They're going to come with information that's incorrect with the intention of stealing from you. And, you know, maybe it was stealing their money, but maybe it was stealing their joy, their peace, their confession, one of the things we talked about last week. And then Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with this call to build your life on the foundation of the rock so that when the rains come and the winds blow, your house, your life won't fall apart rather than building it on the foundation of sand, which is really just Jesus' way of saying you're building your life on what you have to offer you. Um, The works of your own hands, the, the, the foundation that you lay is the foundation that you have to offer yourself rather than to say, I'm going to build my house on the foundation of Christ, which is solid. And even though the storms will come, was anybody up this morning when the storms were here? It was like the trees were like going this way and it was raining. And uh, um, even when storms come, we know that our life, which is built on the rock of the foundation of Jesus Christ, will stand strong. Amen. So that brings us to chapter 8, which is where we will be today. <clears throat> so it says in verse 1, And when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Now, I do like this verse only because I feel like it backs up my position of some of the multitude came up to where Jesus was and joined the crowd, which is why he spoke, because now he's coming down and they're following him. You don't have to agree. That's just my own. That just helped me. But as he's coming down, It says in verse 2, And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you will make me clean. And then Jesus put his hand uh, and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Just a lot of stuff to talk about in in those couple of verses. So let's camp there for a little bit. First of all, this is a man who comes to Jesus with leprosy. So let's talk about leprosy for a a minute. Um, 
in, in Luke's gospel, it says that he was full of leprosy. So this was like an advanced stage of leprosy. It wasn't just one little spot. A leprosy is a disease that affects people from the inside first and works his way out. So someone who has the very early stages of leprosy, um, they don't know it themselves necessarily, and nobody around them would know until it starts to kind of manifest itself on the outside. So it shows up like little spots on their arms or on their, on their feet, um, which when they notice that, um, they could cover that up at first, so nobody would know. If you were discovered to have, have leprosy, and, and in Numbers chapter 13, you can read um, what would happen. They had this whole examination process if someone was to be examined for leprosy. It's pretty involved. Um, but if you were found to have leprosy, um, you were kind of cast out from everybody else. You weren't allowed to be in contact with anybody else. You had to yell out to everyone, unclean, unclean, if you got within six feet of somebody, another person. Um, and if you happened to be upwind from somebody, you had to stay 150 feet away from them. Um, and what happens with leprosy is it just starts to take over your entire body. The, 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 the longer you go on, the more it spreads. It gets, starts to go into the extremities. Leprosy in your body is a disease, really likes the cooler places in your body. So it goes into your fingertips, the tip of your nose, your ears, um, until it begins to actually eat away at the flesh. And so um, a person who has leprosy, like this man who's full of leprosy, maybe he doesn't even have any fingers left. Maybe he doesn't have any toes. His nose might be gone. He's got himself wrapped up to try and keep himself together because what would happen also is leprosy kills the nerves in your body, the nerve stems. And so they would begin to not have any sensation or be able to feel any pain uh, when they would cut their hand or burn their hand or foot. They wouldn't know it even. They would become hardened to the, the sensation of pain that warns us, ow, that's hot. I'm not going to touch that again. Or, ah, I just stepped on a, a, you know, a thistle or, or a, a rock or something. They didn't have that. Their body had become numb to that thing. And so... Um, they essentially would be wrapped up. They'd be, it would affect your, your larynx, your voice box, and so their voice would get kind of gravelly sounding. Um, if they had a tongue at all that was left, um, depending on the, the length of time they've, they'd suffered with leprosy, this form of leprosy could last, uh, you could live with it for up to 20 or 30 years. So um, it was, it's called by, one, by many as death by inches. If you had leprosy, you were considered to be a dead person. There was no cure for leprosy, no cure at all. You just were sent away until you died, however long that took. No one touched you, no one really talked to you. In fact, the, the rabbis at the time taught that leprosy was the direct result of sin that was the judgment of God on you because of something you had done. And so they would um, treat lepers very poorly. Some would even brag about the fact that they threw rocks at lepers to drive them away. And imagine, imagine you're a leper and um, not only are you driven out, um, having no contact with other people, certainly no physical contact, your body is falling apart. Um, you're treated poorly by the religious leaders of your own religion. And on top of that, you're told that this is a result of judgment on you by God. And you begin to believe that. 
Oh, what hope do you have but to just wait until you die? This is the man that comes to Jesus. It's really amazing because this man comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, now he's risking a lot. Coming even to the, there's a multitude. I'm wondering if like the multitude is around Jesus as he's walking and they see this leper and every, everybody just parts out of the way, right? Because they don't want to touch this guy. He's carrying the judgment of God on him. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to get any of that judgment of God on me. And they part, and the man walks up, and he says, if you're willing, Lord, if you're willing. He doesn't say, if you're able. There is something about this leper that sees Jesus and the things that he had heard, and he says, this man is capable. He's able to heal me. Is he willing to heal me? The shame that this guy has on him to say, I know he has the power to do it. I wonder if he's willing to do it for me. No one had ever been cleansed of leprosy that this man may know of, except there's two people, actually, two people in the Old Testament that we know of. Two people who have, were healed of leprosy. The first one was Moses' sister, Miriam. And Numbers chapter 12, we can read the story about how Miriam and Aaron, Moses' brother, were unhappy with Moses because he married an Ethiopian woman. They weren't happy about that, and so they were kind of speaking out against it and grumbling to one another about how their brother had married this Ethiopian woman. And then they start, and it, it switched. Now, this is where it's so subtle, and you have to be careful, because they were grumbling about the fact that he married an Ethiopian woman, and then it switched over to how come God, only, you know, Moses thinks God only speaks to him? Doesn't God speak to us as well? I mean, how come Moses gets to be an authority? Aren't we also an authority also? And you know what it says in Numbers 12? God heard him. And then God said, you three, come out here. Man, you remember when you were a kid and you did something that you weren't supposed to? I actually... I have a brother and a sister, so, and, and, and my name is Aaron, so I'm really, you know, I'm really <laughs> in this moment, and, um, and I remember as kids, you know, we would do something, I actually do, uh, so my brother one time bet me that I couldn't pull myself up by sticking the toilet plunger to the ceiling and pull myself up, and of course, I was like, I totally can do it, and my little sister, she's just like, just there, and turns out, I couldn't pull myself up by the plunger, but what I could do is pull a perfectly round section of plaster off the ceiling. My parents were away, my brother was babysitting, and so we were like, I mean, what's a 12-year-old and an 8-year-old and a 3-year-old do at 9.30 to fix a plaster hole in the ceiling? So we did the thing that kids do, is we went to bed and pretended like it didn't happen. <laughs> And we like we hear my parents come home and we're like, oh, sh oh, sh oh, sh oh, sh and of course my dad is like, come out here, <laughs> and so then we all come in and that's exactly what happens. God says to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out here, and they're just like, oh man, and so he rebukes the two of them, Aaron and Miriam, and as a result, he strikes her with leprosy. 
Now in that moment, Aaron says to Moses, oh, please, please don't let her be as one who is dead. Because if you had leprosy, you were going to die. Moses goes and pleads with God, and God ultimately cleanses her from leprosy. First, first, one of the only people ever cleansed of leprosy before the time of Jesus. Now, the second one is this guy named Naaman. And Naaman was a commander in the Syrian army. It just says that he had leprosy. We don't know to what extent, um, but he had leprosy. Now, um, the king of Syria loved this guy. He was a great commander of his army, but he was really sad that he had leprosy. Um, so Naaman goes home one day, and Naaman had a, um, an, a Jewish slave girl in his house, and she said to her master, his, Naaman's wife, geez, it's too bad that um, Naaman can't go to um, the prophet of Israel because he could heal him. So Naaman goes to the king and he says, hey, you know, there's this prophet in Israel who it's said can, can cleanse me from leprosy. And so the king was like, great. And he sits down to write a letter and he writes a letter to the king of Israel. And he says, here's my servant, Naaman, um, please heal him of his leprosy. And so the king of Israel looks at this and he's like, he's trying to start a war with me. Because who am I? He says, am I God that I can kill and make alive? Again, he's saying, this man has leprosy. Can I make him alive again? He's dead. But Naaman comes anyway, and he comes to see the prophet Elisha. And he stands outside, and he sends his, his servants over, and they're like, and they knock on Elijah's door, and, and Elijah just sends out his servant Gehazi. So Gehazi comes out. Elijah, he doesn't even come out. And he says, um, Elijah says to go to the Jordan River and dip in it seven times in your underwear and you'll be healed. And, uh, and Naaman is like, what? I'm Naaman, commander of the Syrian army. He should tell me something great to do. And so he storms away mad. And so then his servants come to him and they say, um, you know, master, if he had told you something great to do, you would have done it. So why not just go and dip in the river? So Naaman goes and he finally goes and he dips in the river uh, seven times. And it says when he came out, his skin was like a baby's skin, completely cleansed. God cleansed him. This is only two cleansings from leprosy that we see in the, all of the Old Testament, and they're both at the hand of God only. Only God cleansed leprosy. Only God could cleanse a person from leprosy. In the Bible, leprosy is a picture of sin. And here's, this is why, this is why they're similar. Because like leprosy, sin starts on the inside. It can hide in there from anybody around you. When it starts to manifest itself, we could try and cover it up. But eventually it begins to take over your whole body, unconfessed sin. It starts to deaden the conviction of the Holy Spirit to convict us. You've sinned. You need to confess this and be forgiven. We become callous to that, to the point where it will ultimately kill you. But God can cleanse sin. But only God, like leprosy, can cleanse us from sin. And we do that. This is a theme for us. It's been going on and on and on. The remedy for sin is confession. 
And when we, are conf- when we confess, it says that, we, that Jesus, that he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Only Jesus can do that. That's it. And by the way, that's why he came. Amen. That is why he came. He didn't come to heal the sick. He came to save the sinner. He also healed the sick. So this man, he comes and he says, uh, I know that you can. I pray that you're willing. Do you, have you ever suffered through a time when you felt so ashamed to be able to come before the Lord for your, with your sin, saying, I know he can forgive me, but why would he? Why was this like the 20th time this month that I've come and asked for forgiveness. Why would he do it? Why? You know what? That is the enemy getting into your head saying, you're a wretch. What makes you think that God's going to forgive you 22 times of this same miserable sin that you keep? You should be ashamed of yourself. Take an example from the leper who comes and says, look, it's shameful for me to come, but I'm coming. Will you, if you... Will you heal? Will you cleanse? And look at what Jesus says, and he says this to the leper. And by the way, he says this to you. I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. When you come before the Lord and you say, Lord, I did it again. For, please forgive me of the sin that I've done. Um, and he says, I forgive you. And immediately you are cleansed. Thank you, Lord. Now, Jesus says, see that you tell no one. (laughs) Come on, Jesus. I literally, I had a thumb and two toes a second ago. I was wrapped up in putrid, stinking rags and could barely speak. And Jesus, it says immediately he was cleansed. I mean, it's like pop, 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 fingers and toes are coming out. My tongue grows back. My ears are all of a sudden there. My nose, everything's back. I'm completely restored to complete 100% what I was before. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. How am I not supposed to tell anybody? In fact, in Mark's gospel, it says that when he said to the leper, don't tell anybody, you know what the leper did? He told everybody. It says that he went and he told everybody. In fact, he told so many people that Jesus was like, I I can't stay here now. I have to go and go to another place. But here's the irony. This is a sad, sad irony. Jesus said to the leper, don't tell anybody. And the leper told everybody. Jesus says to us, tell everybody. And we don't tell anyone. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. He says, go to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. This kind of makes me laugh a little bit. What Jesus says is there's a process for you to be restored once you've been cleaned from leprosy. So go to the priest and they'll do the ceremony. So he goes, I'm sure he's like, he's going off and he's like, yeah. And he goes up to the priest, he knocks on the door and he goes to the high priest and he says, I've been cleansed of leprosy. What's the process? And they're like, process? (laughs) What? 1,400 years ago, they were given in Numbers chapter 14, 57 verses of process of what to do when someone has been cleansed of leprosy, and they haven't used it since then. Because Miriam was not, this was before, this was after Miriam it was installed, and Naaman was a Syrian he wasn't going to go through, the Jewish cleansing process. 
There isn't any other evidence of anybody else being cleansed of leprosy from that time forward. And so he comes and he says, I'm supposed to come to you, and I guess there's some kind of a process. And the priests are like, have you ever done that? I've never done that before. So they go through and they feel like, oh, hang on, here it is. <laughs> Wipe off the book and bring it out to walk through the process. Now, it was pretty involved. And I think, man, why would God institute this very elaborate very long process to after a person was cleansed of leprosy, if 1,400 years they weren't going to use it, why would he institute it? And why would Jesus at this time say, now go and tell them that you need this cleansing ritual? Why? Two reasons, I think. One is this was the only way that this man who had spent many years completely separated from every single person, be restored officially to his community. And so I think Jesus wanted to be sure that he was going to be restored. The other thing that I think, and probably greater than that, is what an incredible witness. All of a sudden, these guys have to pull this book off the shelf, open it up, and go through and learn this process, not just for this guy, but from this point forward, Jesus is like, leper cleanse, leper cleanse, leper cleanse, leper cleanse. And that sounds like leprechauns right there, doesn't it? <laughs> there, there are several occasions in the New Testament where Jesus actually cleanses lepers now, and they all have to go through the same process. And that guy's like, I, we haven't done this in 1,400 years, and now it's like a, they're coming in left and right. What's going on? Who is this guy? What a testimony of Jesus' power over something that only God had control over. What message is Jesus sending them? I'm God. I am God. Oh, man. And they couldn't deny it. They couldn't. They could, and they will, but they, technically they couldn't deny it. You know what's so cool about the way Jesus heals this man, by the way? What does he do? He touches him. How long has it been since this guy had any physical contact at all? And did Jesus need to touch the leper to heal him? Oh, he's going to heal this centurion soldier from miles away. He touches this because he knew that this leper needed human contact. And he took, can you just imagine? He puts his hands on his face and he says, Be healed. Oh, man. Do you know why? He knew that guy needed that. He knew that guy needed that. Do you know what? He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what you need. I prayed this morning that he is a personal and intimately involved God. And this proves it to me that he touched this man that could not be touched. Some people will say, well, wasn't Jesus defiled at that point? I think that right as he was about to touch his man's face, the leprosy was gone and then he touched him. But I don't know. Jesus doesn't care. He'd go into Gentile's house. He'd touch a dead body. He'd go wherever he goes because he says, oh, I'm God. Amen. By the way. <clears throat> don't tell anyone, he says. Now, when Jesus entered Capernaum, that's where he was on his way to, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. So this centurion, he comes to Jesus. The centurion was a Roman soldier who was in charge of 
100 soldiers. A legion was 6,000. They were broken up into 60 groups of 100. A centurion was in charge of 100 soldiers. He was like the guy in charge of 100 guys. Um, He comes to Jesus because his servant... We did a little research on this, Steve and I, after church this morning. Um, the word servant and the, and the word that it, the way it's used in the Greek grammar is a young child who is being trained for service. Okay, so that's, I think, who he's talking about. Um, a young man that, or woman, I suppose, a young girl, uh, but I think it's a young boy who's being trained as a servant in his household, who this centurion has apparently grown very close to because he leaves him home and goes out to find Jesus so that he could be healed because he's sick, he's paralyzed. Um, in the Greek, it says palsy, which can be a very um, painful disease where you have um, where you're paralyzed, but you can still feel the pain of like muscle and joint cramps. Can you imagine? Um, have you ever had a, a, like a muscle cramp that you can't stretch out? You just have to push through the pain. Um, imagine over your whole body all the time. And this is what this, this servant is dealing with, this kind of pain. It drives this centurion to find Jesus. Now, you know, it, wasn't, it, was, it would have been perfectly acceptable for a Roman who had a servant to just discard him. It was lawful for them to even kill them if they wanted to. That he could have been like, oh, sorry, you've reached your, your maximum HMO. And just got rid of him. But he had such concern for this servant that he went out to find the man who he had heard would be able to heal him. And so the centurion comes. And look at what he says. He says that, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Do you know what he doesn't actually say? Can you heal him? He simply comes out and lets his sorrow over the situation speak for what he wants Jesus to do. Have you ever been so sad or in so much pain or so scared that you just don't know the words to pray? You're like, Lord, I want to pray, but I don't know what to say for myself or for my friend or for my family. I don't know how to pray for them, but Lord, I'm praying. This man let his sorrow speak to Jesus and Jesus knew exactly what he wanted. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes up the groanings of our heart and carries them up to God. I don't always know how to pray. Sometimes I even say, Lord, I don't even know what to say in this moment right now, but Lord, mm, Lord, I'm praying. And I'm comforted by the fact that I know that the Holy Spirit takes that and and, and intercedes for me and takes it to God and says, this is, look, prayer. Oh, man. Jesus says to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. First of all, this guy knew, um, we learned from the other gospels that he was a friend of the Jews, actually had built them a synagogue. Um, And so they, they, they said to Jesus, he loves our nation. Look what he's done for us. He knew that Jesus, as a Jew, couldn't enter the home of a Gentile or else he'd be defiled. And so he says, Lord, I'm not worthy. This is a centurion. 
This is a guy who's in charge of several people, and he says, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof because you'll be defiled, but simply say the word and he'll be healed. Man, you know what he says? He says to him, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. What he is saying right there in that moment is, Lord, I know what authority means. And I know that you have all authority over everything, even sickness. So all you need to do is say the word without coming to my house, without defiling yourself by coming into my house. All you need to do is simply say the word because I know you have the authority over all things and my servant will be healed. Oh, man, that's faith. Look what Jesus says. He says, when he heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith. The word in Greek is belief, not even in Israel. Among all you, he turns, he turns to his followers and said, Even among all of you, who've been listening to me maybe for a couple of days, who've seen me do great things with your own eyes, even among you, I've not seen as much belief as this Roman centurion who comes to me, who says, I believe, Lord, that you have authority over all things. And now Jesus really turns up the heat on his followers here. And he says, I say to you, that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Two really big statements that Jesus makes in those two verses. Number one, he says, when he says, there are gonna be those who come from the east and from the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's saying, in heaven, there will be Gentiles there. That would have been shocking to an audience of Jews who were following Jesus. This is, what, this is how it would have gone. This is fun for me, so play along. I'm going to say to you, you, you're all the Jewish followers of Jesus. And I'm going to say to you this statement that there, there are going to be um, people from the East and the West. And when I finish, you're all going to gasp like you're shocked that I would ever say anything like that. Okay, are you ready? Okay. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> That's fun. I love that you guys do that. <clears throat> but then an even greater statement than that. He says, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says, it is not about your lineage who your parents are or where you say you're from. You might be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, but unless you have faith in me, you will be cast out. Even more shocking to them because they're like, wait a minute. What you're saying, Jesus, is that these Gentiles who I thought were just created to stoke the fires of hell are gonna be at the table and I might not be? In fact, I might be in outer darkness and sorrow or weeping and gnashing of teeth. By the way, weeping and gnashing of teeth is like mental 
sorrow, mental torment, and gnashing of teeth is less like, like agony. You know, like, did you ever stub your toe and you're like, because it hurts? That. That. And we're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm a Jew. Jesus says, you have to have faith in me. You say, oh, I'm American. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. My parents were Christians. Doesn't that, you know, count for me? No. No, you have to have faith in Jesus Christ. I was born a Christian. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? I was born a Christian. Well, Jesus said, you have to be born again. You were born. Jesus says, now you have to be born again. Remember that whole Nicodemus thing? What, do I enter into my mother's womb? Hopefully not. Jesus says, no. Spirit and water. Water and spirit, he says. Water and spirit. Water, be physically born. Spirit, be born again. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ if you want to be sitting at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Otherwise, you are cast out where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But here's the deal. You could do it right now. You could say, Jesus, I'm just realizing this. But I actually believe that you died for my sins. All of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, I never believed this before, but all of a sudden I do. That's because the Holy Spirit is here and he's letting you know your sins have been forgiven. You need only believe it. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. That's every day. That's every day. Honestly, every day. Then, verse 13, then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. As you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, Jesus came, came to Peter's house. He saw his wife, Peter's wife's mother lying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. And the whole scene just makes me laugh in my mind, because there she is, sick, sick. And Jesus comes in and he takes her hand and he rebukes the fever, it says in another uh, gospel. And then she gets up and she goes in to make eggs or something or whatever it is. It's very strange to me. Have you ever been sick, just like really sick and you're in bed for days? And then one morning, you know, you wake up and you're like, oh, I feel great. And then you just just go like right to serving your family. Usually I'm like, oh, I feel good, but I could probably milk this for another couple of days. I don't. I know. (laughs) My wife is like, really? Sometimes it's just good illustration. I'm just saying. Peter's mother pops right out of bed and goes right to work serving. You know, that's so cool. Charles Spurgeon has this great quote. It says this, the moment the Lord saves a soul, he gives that soul strength for its appointed service. Oh man, that's so cool. He says, oh, you've accepted me. You've been cleansed. Here's some things I want you to do. And I'm giving you the strength to do it as well. And you're like, off I go to serve. Now, when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed. And he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. (laughs) This is a busy day. Think about it. He comes down off a mountain. He heals a leper. He heals the centurion's uh, servant. He heals Peter's mother. 
They bring to him at nighttime all kinds of people with demons and all kinds of sicknesses. He's like, demon out, demon out, demon out, demon out. You're healed, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. That's a lot. I, I, look, I think the Lord put this in here to rebuke me this week. And maybe you, but mostly me. Because I spent a lot of time this week thinking, man, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. And he's like, look at my day. You're complaining about your week. Look at my day from start to finish. But I don't see anywhere where Jesus complained about this. So I'm like, oh, Lord, forgive me, forgive me for being so wrapped up in the things that I had to do or have to do that the whole focus just turned right on me. I'm so busy, I'm busy, I'm so busy. Me, 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 I'm me busy. Sorry, sorry, sorry. In verse 17, it says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. First of all, this is so like Matthew, to point to Old Testament fulfillment that Jesus is fulfilling. He loves to do that. But this is pretty cool. He himself took, that word took means laid a hold of our infirmities and bore our sickness. Bore means take away. He took a hold and took away our sickness and our infirmities. Ultimately, what is or what was our greatest sickness? Sin. He took it and he took it away. Thank you, Jesus. Now, in verse 18, when he saw a great multitude about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. He's talking about the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We know this from the other Gospels. He says to his disciples, let's get in this boat and go over to the other side. Hold on to that. That's important. So he's trying to get into a boat. He's like, wow, it's been a busy day. It's nighttime. I'm just going to take a little boat ride. And here he is trying to get into the boat trying to push off from shore. And look what it says. Um, Then a certain scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And so here's Jesus. He's getting into the boat. Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Okay, (laughs) let's talk. So he comes over to the man and he says to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. What? (laughs) Jesus, what are you saying here to this man? This guy says, teacher, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And he's like, yeah. So I heard a lot of people teach this that say, um, Jesus was saying, I don't have any home. I'm a homeless guy. I'm, I'm just a homeless guy who goes from place to place preaching the word. And I guess technically it's true. He didn't like have a house, but he never had lack of some place to lay his head. Okay. You never see Jesus complaining that he didn't have any place to sleep, right? So what's he saying? So very interesting here. Where he says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, the phrase is the same phrase that we see in John's gospel when Jesus is on the cross and he's about to die and he says it is finished. He says it is finished. It says that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Bowed his head Lay his head, same phrase, same phrase. In fact, what is Jesus saying? Does that clear it up? No, here's, this is what he's saying. He says to this guy, this is the home of the foxes. This is the home of the birds of the air. This is not my home. My home is with the father. Then he says, what he, essentially what he's saying to this man is, 
any follower of mine must also understand that this is not their home either. You, and that's why, remember when he said, look, why are you so concerned? Why are you so worried about these worldly things? This is not your home. He says, if you're going to be, you say you're going to follow me wherever I go. You could follow me from place to place geographically, but in your heart, you need to understand that this is not our home. That will help you when you start to get all twisted up over the things of this world. I'm like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? What are we going to do about this? What about my kids? What about this? What about that? And Jesus says, this isn't your home anyway. So stop paying your mortgages. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, let's just cut that part out of the tape. Let's just put this. It's not what it says. Then, and so then he's like, okay, we good? We good? And so he gets back in the boat. And then it says, another disciple comes over. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus was like, okay, all right, all right. Get out of the boat. Come over to this guy. And he says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Oh, Jesus, that sounds kind of harsh there. Can I just go home and bury my dead father and then I'm going to be right back? Okay, so you have to understand that this guy wasn't saying Jesus, my dad is home dead in his recliner and I just got to go and, or he's like, his funeral is this afternoon. This guy is saying to Jesus, Let, I, I want to follow you, just not yet. I still have some things that I want to do. I have some things that I have to take care of first. Let me just go and do those things first and then I'm there. I'm following you after that point. How many of you said that somewhere along your walk? Someone comes to you and says, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Like, I really love all that Jesus stuff here, but I'm not ready for that. Someday, I'm sure, someday I'm going to get there. But you know what? Let me just finish school first. Once I get through school, then I'm going to be about that. Let me just um, get to this place in my career. Let me just get my kids through college. Let me just get to the place where I can retire, because then I can really focus on you, Jesus. I want to follow you, just not yet. And Jesus says, follow me and leave the world to the world. Well, we don't get the indication that either one of these guys agree and hop in the boat. It's kind of like the idea is like, they're like, oh, well, that's, I mean, it's not really what I was thinking. Remember the rich young ruler? Lord, what, 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 what must I do to add eternal life onto my long list of things that I already possess? And Jesus says, well, you only lack one thing, a single devoted heart to God. So sell everything you have that is dividing your devotion and follow me. Give it all away. Follow me. And it says that he joined Jesus happily and did exactly what he said and lived happily ever after. No, that's, that's in a different version of the Bible. It says that he went away sad because he had great possessions, meaning that he loved those things more than he could love God. And Jesus says, follow me, leave the world to the world. Now, 
When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Finally, he's able to get into the boat and they push off. Yay. And suddenly there's a great tempest that arose on the sea that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. Jesus was asleep. And the disciples came to him and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. Okay, so I'm going to help you understand what's going on. They get into the boat. I can tell you the dimensions of the boat because they found a first century boat, um, the remains of it. Um, and so it, it was like this. It was, you guys are the lucky volunteers today. It was about this long for this section. From here, which would be the bow, all the way to the back wall would be the stern. That's how long, 27 feet. It was seven and a half feet wide, which is just about this section right here. And it was four and a half feet high, but imagine two, at least two feet of that are under the water. So about two and a half feet. So about that high up. So you're sitting in the boat and the, 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 what's that, what's the edge of a boat called the, the keel? The, the, thank you, um, is only about to here on you sitting down. Okay. And off you're going. And all of a sudden a great tempest arises. Now the sea of Galilee is 636 feet below sea level. It's surrounded by um, hills and, and uh, slopes and everything. So it's not unusual for the weather to come up. And I feel like the weatherman, the weather to come up from here and push down <laughs> the slopes across the sea, creating these great big storms. In fact, I was listening to another Bible teacher who said that he was there um, and witnessed a storm where there were eight foot waves on the Sea of Galilee. Now this boat, 27 feet long and seven and a half feet wide, four feet high, um, in the water with the disciples in it, with Jesus asleep in the back, is in the middle of a storm. And see, it says in there that the waves were covering it back and forth. So imagine you all are on the boat and it's a big rocky storm and we're, we're going to go this way and ready, we go this way. Oh, oh, come on, come on, Chris, come on. Whoa, whoa, my goodness. Ah, it's scary. I can't believe you guys did that really. It's fun. <laughs> But they were afraid, so afraid that they wake up Jesus and they say, Lord, we're perishing. In Mark's gospel, it says, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? Let me remind you, like half of these guys, fishermen, probably have been in a boat in a storm before. But for some reason, this time, they're so afraid. They think we're going to die we better wake Jesus up. Okay, well, that was smart, actually. We're going to die. What should we do? Let's wake up Jesus. Well, they wake up Jesus, and look what he says to them. He says, he wakes up, and he says, why are you fearful? Why are you fearful? We're in the middle of a storm. The water's washing over the sides of the boat. We're rocking back and forth. It's dark. It's scary. And Jesus says, why are you fearful? I think he asked us the same question many times. Do you not know me? Did you not just witness days and days of me doing miraculous things? Did you not sit on the mountain with me as I told you all of these amazing things? Why are you afraid? He says, Oh, you of little faith. I'd like to break down this little verse, the oh, you of little faith, into something maybe you'll understand better. In Greek, it says, Oh, you who have become dull to the hearing of my voice. They had been listening to his voice for days. They had witnessed with their own eyes the miraculous things they did. When they find themselves in trouble, 
they forget everything that they had heard and seen, and now they're like, we're going to die. We're all going to die. By the way, what did Jesus say to them when they were getting in the boat? Let's go over to the other side. He didn't say, maybe we'll make it. Maybe we'll die along the way. Let's go under. He said, let's go over to the other side. And so he says, why are you afraid? You, you've become dull to the hearing of my voice. As do we. You know what? How many times have we witnessed amazing things in our lives, even miracles that God has done? The, the, the biggest miracle I could think of is when a person who is a sinner receives Christ Jesus and their soul is cleansed and their salvation is secure. That's a miracle. How many times have you seen that happen? And yet we sit and we look at somebody, well, that person would never receive the word. God says, have you become so dull to the hearing of my voice? Oh, I, I can't talk to that guy. Remember the, the guy I mentioned for me is the guy with the jacket and the leather, the leather elbows, the intellectual person. And I think I could never talk to that guy. And the Lord says, why are you so afraid? Have you grown dull to my, the hearing of my voice? Yes, I have. We have. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for growing dull to the hearing of your voice and being afraid, Lord. So then Jesus says, he arose and he rebuked the winds and the sea and there was great calm. You know something that jumped off at me? He actually rebuked the disciples first because like, this, they're going to be way harder to deal with because I know the wind and the waves, they will obey me. So I'm going to deal with the hard stuff first the hearts of these guys, and then I'm just going to command that the wind and the waves be calm because I know they will. Because the wind and the waves and all of creation is under his authority, and they know it. And we fight it. And they're fighting it. And Jesus says, I'm going to deal with you first. And then he stands up and he says, be calm. And it's just like, whew, everything is calm. So It's so drastic that they look at this and it says that the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Why did this happen? <laughs> you know these guys were not in a storm because of anything they did wrong. They were in the storm because they followed Jesus into the boat. But Jesus used this opportunity to show them that even though they were able-bodied fishermen who had been in this situation probably before, that they needed Jesus. Only Jesus could calm the storm. They needed Jesus. He's teaching them. He's teaching us. Then it says, um, when he had come to the other side to the country of the Gerasenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. We know from the other Gospels also that these guys were chained up. They were cutting themselves. They were living in the tombs. They'd been driven out there. They some, had some supernatural demonic power that they could break the chains. There was no chains that could hold them. And they came running out to Jesus. And it says, and suddenly they cried out saying, what have you to do? What have we to do with you, Jesus, the son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Do you want to know what's interesting? They, the demon possessed men, the demons saw 
and recognized Jesus for who he was. They knew who he was. A minute ago, the disciples asked themselves, who is this man? The ones who were following him. The demons come out and they recognize Jesus and they know who he is. Do you, uh, have you ever talked to somebody, or maybe this is you, I don't know everyone here, maybe, maybe you say, well, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing, but I believe in God. I believe in God. You ever hear someone say, I believe in God, and they, they just mean some, some idea of God, some kind of thing, the word God or something. I believe in God. Well, let me, let me, um, let me paraphrase James 2, chapter, nine, uh, chapter 2, verse 19. Oh, you believe in God? Whoopity-do. That's my own version. It says the demons believe in God too, but they tremble. They tremble. Someone says, I believe in God. I was like, okay, you know what? Like you're here and the demons are here now because they believe and tremble because they know who God is and they know what he is able to do. And you're just saying, I believe in God. They trembled. They came and they said, Jesus, what have you to do with us? Are you going to cast us out into the abyss before the time? They know, by the way, that there is an end coming for them where they will be cast into outer darkness forever. And so what is their goal while they're here? It is to destroy only. Destroy only. The devil and demons are not your friends. They want nothing good for you, no matter how they masquerade, no matter how they whisper in your voice. Do not be fooled by Hollywood that has a little Jesus on this corner and a little devil on this corner. And, this, and the devil over here is saying, that Jesus, he's so prudish. She doesn't want you to have any fun. Come on, let's go and do this. And all he wants to do is kill you. Wreck your life. That's it. Look at what happens. It says, now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. And so the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go into the herd of swine. And he said to them, go. There they are, swine. The demons say, hey, um, instead of throwing us out into the abyss now, can you cast us into those swine, please, please, please. Um, So number one, under the authority of Jesus, aren't they? They are under the authority of Jesus like everything else. They beg, please don't cast us out into the abyss. Send us into those swine. Jesus says, go. And so when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly, the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished into the water. This is a look into the mind of a demon that says, don't cast us out into the abyss. Let us go into the swine. And then as soon as they go, what do they do? They destroy the swine because that's all they want to do. They don't, they didn't want to like, oh, well, let's hang out with these swine for a while. They were like, yes, let's destroy them. That's what demons do. Don't be fooled. You get your Ouija board out and you're going all around and you think that's a fun game. You're opening a door, man. You are opening a door. You're going to mess with that stuff. You're going to find out demons want to destroy you. And you know what they'll do? They'll manifest as your grandma. They'll show up as Uncle Bob who passed on and they'll be like, hey, I'm Uncle Bob. Let me tell you some really cool stuff. And they're trying to destroy you. 
Then, okay. Then those who kept them fled and went away into the city and told everything, catch this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. The pigs die. The people that keep the pigs run into the city and be like, there's this guy, Jesus, and he cast out demons from Daryl and Larry, and they went into the pigs, and then the pigs are dead, and all of our pigs are dead. And so then the city comes out to see this, and by the way, see Daryl and Larry, or whatever their names are, sitting there at the feet of Jesus in their right mind, and what's their concern? Our pigs are gone. You killed our pigs. These guys are from their village. They might be related to them. They're friends. They haven't been able to spend time with them for years because they've been possessed by many demons, cutting themselves, violently scaring the people. And here they are sitting there in their right mind, clothed, by the way. And they're like, but what about our pigs? So wrapped up in what they lost financially or in terms of their possession, they don't even care. I'm going to care about these men who are now just returned to their senses and to their community. All they care about is what they've lost, not what they've gained. They lost pigs. They gained everything back. And they, keep, they don't even care. So like, would you, could you just go, Jesus? The guy that just miraculously cast out demons could you just go from here? We're not interested in what you have to offer. So what did Jesus do? He left. Jesus says, you don't want me? I'm going to go. Come on, guys, let's go get back in the boat. And I'm sure the disciples are like, we're still wet. Can't we like spend the night or something? Jesus says, let's go get back in the boat. He's not going to force his way in. Seems like, you know, on the surface, this seems like, man, that's, even the disciples, I'm sure, were probably like, well, this, was, this, this was a waste of time. I mean, we came all this way, we went through the storm, you know, just, just to, so that we could, so he could free these just two guys? What a waste. Not to those guys. It wasn't a waste to those two guys. You see, that's just like Jesus, isn't it, to do that? to be about that one guy, to be about those two guys, there's nothing wasted. There's nothing wasted. In fact, in, in Mark, I think it's Mark, one guy comes to Jesus and says, let me go with you. And Jesus says, no, um, I want you to go back and tell everybody about how good God was to you. And that guy goes back and it says that he witnesses in the city is thought to be the Decropolis, which is like the series of 10 cities. And this guy goes back as like a serious witness for Jesus. Is that a waste? How many lives were changed because of that? How many lives? There's nothing wasted. I'm going to end. We're going to end. There's a lot there, a lot to think about, a lot to walk out of here with today, to consider 
the authority of Jesus Christ. And where are you with that authority? Is it here? Are you here? Do you not uh, recognize his authority at all? Have you surrendered your life to him? Are you saying, I want to follow you, Jesus? I mean, I've heard good things, but I'm just not ready yet. Just not yet. Let me just do a couple of more things. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word today. Lord, I thank you for preserving it for so long for us, Lord, so that we could be sitting here today in 2023 with it open before us, Lord, recognizing your authority in our lives, Lord, recognizing that you are God and how many different ways you say it. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you show us over and over again in your word that you came to save the sinner. And that was me, Lord, and I thank you for the continued forgiveness of my sins. Lord, please, I pray that I never grow too calloused or unfeeling that I don't recognize when it is time to come to you and confess so that I might be clean. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray for anybody here um, who has been saying, not yet, not yet, or has not recognized you for who you are or doesn't believe, Lord, I pray that today is the day Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be now on them saying today is the day for you to believe that Jesus died for your sins. Lord, I pray that if anybody's here today that they would simply just say, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died so that I could be cleansed and raised from the dead and be seated at the heavenly table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come into my heart now. Lord, give me your Holy Spirit that I might be able to live a life that is pleasing to you until the day that you call me home, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray that if anybody here prayed that and believed it in their heart, that, Lord, they're celebrating in heaven over that one sinner who's repented, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, for this day. I pray for your uh, protection as we go out, Lord. Even as we saw the winds blowing today, I was reminded uh, that you're still in authority over the wind and the waves, Lord. They still know your name. Lord, help me to remember your name every single second. We thank you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.